For the last few Sundays, we've been looking at the uh, disciplines of grace. That is, as we have received grace from the Lord, the grace of salvation, as we have come into a relationship with the living God, then we are to be growing up in certain disciplines in the faith. They are disciplines of grace. The way in which if one is going to enter into the sport of golf, there are certain disciplines that you need to exercise, certain muscles you need to control and other muscles you need to relax in order to make the game work, let alone course management, let alone picking a club that's long enough for the swing and all kinds of other things. There are disciplines involved. Same thing with any, any sport, any activity. Disciplines are required. And so as we enter into the Christian life, there are these disciplines that are required of us that we may grow up in the faith. And I really, I'm only looking at four of them, even though I've identified 10, maybe 14. But these four that I've been speaking to have been most necessary for the life and the health of the church. And so far, we've looked at the discipline of generous giving, generously giving to the Lord and um, for his work. We've looked at the discipline of prayer. That is, having that communion with God and having that walk with God whereby we're pouring out our hearts individually and together something that we're always learning. We never really finally have a handle on it, but we need to be exercising it more and more in our lives. That's what God calls us to. Today, we're going to be looking at telling the story, sharing the story. I'm going to be concentrating on Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 48, but, yeah, don't you like that one? I'm going to be reading a lot more verses. I'm going to be reading from verse uh, 13 to nearly the end of the chapter because there's some larger context that I'm going to want us to maintain as we we look at these few verses this morning. So from verse 13 in Luke chapter 24, let me give you some immediate sense of where we are. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. There are two disciples who are absolutely puzzled. They have left Jerusalem. They are walking to the city of Emmaus, which, by the way, nobody actually knows where it is. We can't find it. We can't find We can't find it near Jerusalem. Maybe it's been absorbed by the metropolis of Jerusalem, but no archaeologist has been able to find it yet. But they've been walking to the city of Emmaus, and as they are walking to the city and discussing some things, someone comes along and starts walking with them. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, 
answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it. And he ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is God's word. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures. 
Not just to understand them, to have knowledge, Lord, but to understand them in such a way that they move us to do what you tell us. In your name we pray, amen. One of the things that takes place sometimes is that we forget, even as we approach, you know what it's like to be dropped in the middle of a story? Sometimes we we seem to live our Christian life as though we're dropped in the middle of a story. Jesus is speaking to his disciples after his resurrection from the dead. He's telling them that they are witnesses of all that he has done in his ministry, in his death and in his rising from the dead. But before we can actually look at that piece, we have to look at this much larger story. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, you know how it starts out in The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe. Lucy Pevensey, who is a young girl, wanders into basically a coat closet, a wardrobe, and finds herself in another land, Narnia. And she's there, and she's trying to figure out what's going on and why she sees this lamp in the middle of the forest, and along comes this fawn by the name of Mr. Tumnus. And she and Mr. Tumnus seem to hit off a friendly relationship, and he invites her to his house for tea, and as she's sipping tea, Tumnus starts crying. And she says, what's wrong, Mr. Tumnus? He says, I'm such a bad fawn. I'm such a bad fawn. Well, why, says Lucy? Because I'm kidnapping you. We're dropped right in the middle of this story. Why is he doing this? What is going on in this land, in this enchanted land, it seems, where there's still fawns who talk and she's being kidnapped? And at some point, you get dropped in the middle of the story and you've got to ask yourself the question, how do we get here? Where are we going with this? Why is it important, and what happens next? Right? When we take a look at the resurrection of Christ and his interaction with these disciples in this instance, we're dropped in the middle of a story. And I don't mean just an immediate story. I mean a big story. And so in order to really understand what's going on, what's taking place, we have to look at this larger story This is a story that begins at the creation of man, and it begins in his childhood. That is, where God has made man upright. He has made man holy. He has made man to be in fellowship with him, and he's given one restriction only. One restriction only. You can have everything in the garden. You can have everything. Eat from it all except for this one tree. This one tree is private property. You may not eat from the tree of this because it's my tree. It's private property. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man, not in his ignorance, not mistakenly, not stumbling and falling and hitting the ground and suddenly finding the fruit in his mouth. Man chose to eat the forbidden fruit. And at that point, he and all of his posterity imploded into ruin. 
And from that moment, God said, you shall surely die, but I'm going to send you a savior. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And for the rest of all of God's dealings with humanity, it was one promise after another, one picture after another, one symbol, one type after another, until the story got bigger and bigger that God was going to be a God who redeems, and he was going to do it through a priest. He was going to do it through a prophet who would proclaim the truth. He was going to do it through a king who would reign and rule. He would become someone who would be seated on a throne, and it wasn't just going to be for this one family. It wasn't going to be just for this one group of people. It wasn't just going to be for these people in the Middle East. Even as we saw in Isaiah, God says, it's too small a thing to keep it restricted to Israel. I want the earth. I want mankind to know this this Savior, to know this King. And so all of this history went on as God said more and more about what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. That the whole purpose was to bring a people into fellowship with him out of this imploded, ruined, deformed humanity. And that brought us to Christ, who took up flesh lived among us, fulfilled all of the righteous expectations of the law, and then, horror of horrors and wonder of wonders, submitted himself to the full penalty of the law, not deserving it, but submitting himself to it, so that all the law of God may be satisfied. So he might bring a great people to himself and to God. That's the large story. That's a story that extends three millennia, four millennia, five millennia. It extends throughout the whole of human history. It's a story that we dare not forget, ever. Our world makes no sense apart from this story. Our world makes no sense. What's Your world, your personal life makes no sense apart from this story. We dare not forget it. That's why God reminds us again and again. And what God does is he repeats and repeats and repeats, and he says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And the reason he has to do that is because we are hard of hearing. We are slow of heart. We don't really pay attention to what he says. Then when Christ comes and he is talking to these two men Uh, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's shorthand. Moses and all the prophets refers to the whole testimony of God throughout all of history. All of it speaks to Christ. All of it tells us about the coming one. All of it repeats again and again. Because, beloved, we are slow of heart and hard of hearing. Easily distracted by the roast in the oven or by the weather outside or by all of these things that pull our hearts away 
from the full provision of the living God. And so in verse 44, Jesus repeats that for the disciples. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. There's a little Greek word, three letters, D-E-I, Dei. That little word means it is necessary. It is necessary. Jesus says, it is necessary that all these things should be fulfilled, that Christ should suffer and all these things be fulfilled. And so, the shorthand of all the scripture, the prophets, Moses, uh, the Psalms, is God's grace repeating to us what would be necessary. Do we even read the Psalms that way? Do we even read the Old Testament prophets that way? Do we read it that this is necessary for us? This would be necessary for our salvation. We read those things and we kind of go, oh, this is so boring. Why is this here? Because we don't understand how necessary it is. Slow of heart, hard of hearing. But the point that Jesus is getting across is that this is the purpose. This is the purpose, the end point, the T loss. This is the final thing that everything gets to that he would die for sins and that he would be the king who redeems those who trust him. It was necessary that Christ suffer and rise and that repentance and forgiveness must be proclaimed in his name. Friends, are you a Christian? Have you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you understand that now your story is part of this very large story? Do you understand now the moment you say, I belong to Jesus Christ, it automatically taps into everything that God promised, and it taps into the anticipation of Jesus' return. All of it. This is now your story, too. It's not some story that's, you know, in a faraway galaxy or a galaxy a long time ago, far, far away. This is, this is for us. This is our story. And it's a story that Jesus then gives instructions that your story being part of this grand story, he says this. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. How are we doing? We have the greatest story on earth. We have a story that actually sets people free from their addictions, from drugs, from alcoholism, from other forms of ruin that just consume us. 
We have the greatest story on earth to share with people. How are we doing? One of the dangers of 21st century Christianity is that we cocoon ourselves away behind our computer screen and in our you know, garage doors that open automatically and close automatically so that we don't actually have to deal with our neighbors. And the result is that we keep the story to ourselves. We're witnesses of these things. I mean, if we've really come to know the Lord, has your life changed because of Jesus? You are a witness of these things. And so this is the capstone for us. It was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And somewhere along the way, somebody faithfully proclaimed the message of repentance and faith to you. It might have been your parents. It might have been a friend from school. It might have been somebody who just randomly was on the street and saying, you really need to believe this because you don't have any other hope. But the the story was proclaimed to you, and now your story is a larger part of this more grand story. And so Jesus tells us that we ourselves are witnesses of these things and that repentance and forgiveness of sins need to be proclaimed in his name. Romans 10, verses 9 through 14 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone proclaiming? It's in the hearing. It's in the hearing that the Holy Spirit is pleased to work faith in the heart. Beloved, this is a spiritual discipline. This goes right along with prayer. This goes right along with giving. It's a spiritual discipline. that If we want this church to live, there's a spiritual discipline we must enter into. If we want this church to live, we have to enter into prayer. If we, if we want this church to live and to flourish, this is a piece of it. It's a discipline. Because we need to know the message. That's why I rehearsed all of that, all of that larger story without going into all the details. God made man upright, but through his own sin, he has sought out many schemes and has chosen death instead of life. That's part of the message. That God chose to save those who repent and turn to him for mercy. That's part of the message. That the place of mercy is the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only sacrifice for our sins. That's the central piece of the message. Now, to receive any benefit at all for Christ's death and resurrection, you must believe on, rest upon, place all your trust in Jesus Christ. You know, that's a pretty simple message. That covers what's needed. Now, there's so much more. Maybe there's lots of reasons why we're afraid to share. <gasps> oh, what if, my nature, what if my neighbor calls me bad names? What if, what if my neighbor doesn't like me because of this? Or what if my brother or sister doesn't like me because of this? This is a message of life. What are they rejecting? The messenger, you, or the message itself? 
as 21st century Christians, Christians, we dare not cocoon ourselves. And so what Jesus does is he tells us to go out and tell the story. Just go tell the story, for heaven's sake. You know, we'll talk about baseball games and baseball teams, and we'll talk about the sports program, and we'll talk about this thing and that thing, and we won't talk about the story. We need to talk about the story, because the story is wonderful. The story is life. The story is liberty. The story is protection from all the things that would destroy us. The story is being brought back from the dead. The story is fruit. The, the story is transformation. The story is being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. The story is for the very young. The story is for the very old. The story is for the middle-aged mom who is just consumed with the daily duties and almost can't see beyond water. The story is for the guy who's trapped behind his desk at work and he's a corporate slave. The story is for everybody. Every time we share it, it just flourishes more broadly in our own The story is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what the story is. And Jesus says, go tell the story. Proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sin to whoever in the nation. Jesus does say this, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, and of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. If you're not telling the story, there's a caution here for you. And if you are telling the story, blessed are you indeed. And so the exhortation is, let's tell the story. It's critical to the life of our church. It's critical to the life of any church. Any real church flourishes because of this. It was necessary for Christ to suffer and to die and to raise to life. Not so that we can be distracted with our electronic devices and all of the entertainments that dribble through them. But so that we might enter into true life and full conformance to the glory and the loveliness of God. It's necessary for us to share the story. Will people resist this message? Yes. Will people reject the message? Yes. But that doesn't change the truth or the transformation of it. People will also believe this message and be brought to life from the dead. I am a testimony of that. Many of you can probably raise your hands. How many of you are a testimony of that? I have been brought to life from the dead. We need this. We need it with one another. I need to have you proclaim to me the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. It's not the professional Christian's job. The professional Christian needs to hear it because he's still struggling with the same enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Isn't that what the Heidelberg Catechism says? This is the one true story. Do you know that all other stories in the earth are actually some segment of this story? If there's a hero in a fiction story, the true hero is Jesus. 
if there is some woman who's struggling in order to get away from a clutching enemy, the church is the true woman clutching, getting away from the enemy that clutches. There's only one story in the earth, and every story we tell from that is a slice of this one true story, but we get to tell the true story so that all men and women and children need to hear. And in this is the Lord Jesus Christ glorified. He's magnified. Do we want to give him glory? This is the way to do it. We want our church to grow and to flourish. And I want you, even as I finish this up, to consider the fields that we are surrounded by. I was out for a drive yesterday, and I was driving what felt like through a tunnel of corn. You know, it wasn't that way in in April. We know what was going on in April, don't we? What were they doing? They were plowing and seeding. And we love the fact that the corn is producing and the ears of corn are just popping out and pretty soon there's going to be a harvest. But you know what? There was a discipline that was required early on. Hours and hours of plowing the fields. Hours and hours of planting seeds. Hours of cultivation. And even just a couple weeks ago, we had airplanes around here doing crop dusting, right? Or was that last week? The point being that in order to have that harvest, all of these exercises of discipline had to lead up to the production of the fruit. We are called to plant seeds, to cultivate the plants, to weed and water. And when we share the story, that's what we're doing. We're looking for the harvest. It doesn't matter if it's in our own kids' lives or if it's in the lives of friends from school or if it's in the lives of some other young family nearby or in the lives of a shut-in who needs to hear the message once again. Because it brings refreshment to our soul and needs to transform us. Beloved, let us tell the story the glory of God in the souls of the people that we see. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, this could be a hard message, it could be a delightful message, but it is a message we need to hear. And I ask that we would each, me first, Lord, me first, that we would each be stirred to tell of the loveliness of Jesus in his fulfilling all of the things that you said throughout history, in his offering up of himself on the cross, in his resurrection and ascension, and his crowning in glory, and the fruit that has come of it in the growth of the church. May we be faithful about that. And we ask that you would bring forth all of the fruit that you are pleased to bring out of that. We pray for our neighbors we love, Lord, however hard, however delightful, however difficult their lives or however comfortable they are as people to live next door to, Lord, we pray for our neighbors and ask that this story would be transformative for them and give us good courage to speak it, 
to the best of our ability and to the best of our knowledge and leave the outcome to you. Grant to us this spiritual discipline and we will give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name.